1: This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. One major league soccer owner is leading a $50 million investment. The
2: blurring of the lines between sports team owners and the sports gambling space.
1: Michael Barr. How high can these valuations go? Evan Novi williams
2: Off the field, the NBA
1: has never been buzzier. And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred.
2: Heidi O'Neill is president of direct-to-consumer
1: at Nike. Indy race car driver Elio Castroneves. Bevis. Jared Smith, president of Ticketmaster's. Bloomberg Business of Sports, from Bloomberg Radio.
2: Hello, I'm Evan Novi williams
1: And I'm Michael Barr, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And le- <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I started laughing because, well, Taiwan has started their baseball season and uh, and other sports are trying to get it going, so but the stands are empty of people, but they have an idea. So there are a lot of cardboard cutouts and mannequins in the stands, uh, because it fooled me, okay? I, I thought they were real people. <laughs> I just thought, you know, they just needed a hot dog or two, and they were good to go. But you know what? I guess for the TV shot, that's not bad.
2: It's funny. Yeah. The you know, as we as we start to think about, you know, what sports around the world are going to look like in the next five or six months, if they are indeed happening, you know, it seems likely that there is going to be sports, at least in some places that don't have fans. There already are, as you mentioned, Taiwan baseball as an example. And teams are starting to think about, hey, what do we do? You know, maybe fun, you know, keep people engaged. Uh, another one, th- this this German soccer club, and I am going to butcher the name, so I apologize in advance, but Borussia Mönchengladbach, Gladbach, something also. like that. Yeah. Um, they, <laughs> yeah, if you want to take a shot at it, go for it. Um, they are allowing fans to buy cardboard cutouts that will essentially look like them, essentially like full body cardboard cutouts. So it can look like they're, you know, they're in the stands supporting their team uh, whenever those games get back up and running, Uh, which I think is both funny and also a fantastic idea. You know, teams right now need to figure out ways to keep their fans engaged at a time when games aren't happening or when they can't go to games themselves. And little things like this, which probably don't cost a particular ton of money to get off the ground, probably doesn't take too many people to figure it out things like this actually can make a difference in the aggregate if you can do more of them
1: it's interesting the taiwan deal uh it, when you see the cardboard cutouts you see people in sunglasses and then you see people in masks so it's i mean it's this is the realism. It's authentic. Yeah, I mean, this is it's and the idea with the with the German club is that's a very good idea. It's like if you could just send in a picture of yourself, and they can you know reproduce it and have it set up to where there you are in section eight or wherever. Man, it's it's good. It's a great idea. Absolutely,
2: and and you know we've seen in the past you know a lot of teams when they're building new you know, new stadiums or new arenas. They'll do, you know, engrave little bricks with people's names for people who, you know, supported them, season ticket holders during the time of transition. You know, little things like that, I think should be in hyperdrive right now. Because again, you know, people are looking for some kind of connection to the teams that they love. And the way most people get that connection is by watching games, and, and they can't do that right now. So, you know, little things on social media, things like cardboard cutouts and stands, you know, I think we're, we're starting to see a little more of it, but I still think that, that most teams really around the world, but especially here in the U.S., you know, this should be the number one goal for people who are, you know, working, in, working on, on, on the franchise side right now for NBA, NFL, MLB, and NHL teams. It should be doing little things like this that can keep fans reminded, you know, both emotionally and in the front of their mind that, oh, I like this team, I root for this team, and when, whenever it is that these games pick back up, um, I'm going to be right there supporting them again.
1: And that's the fun side of it. Now it move <laughs> to the next topic of it, where President Trump is has a console about opening up the country which involves uh, including sports. Now, this brings up a, an important question. Are we ever going to see the way we used to watch sports in a crowded stadium ever again? I just wonder.
2: It's a, it's a good question. And these are the people that are going to be having those conversations. You mentioned You mentioned President Trump's opening the country council. You know, a lot of business leaders in there. Jamie Dimon, Tim Cook, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, and also a lot of sports leaders, you know, the, the, the commissioners of all the major US leagues. Somehow, Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA did not get the call to this one either. I don't know if there's something going on there or if it's just coincidence, but he was not on the phone call that Trump had two weeks ago either. Um, and then a few owners as well, Robert Kraft, who, you know, we know has a, has a close relationship with Donald Trump. Uh, I believe Jerry Jones and Mark Cuban also mentioned as well. I mean, my takeaway from, from this is that it seems very clear that both the president and the powers that be within the U.S. sports uh, enterprise are aligned and they're feeling that, you know, as part of whatever it looks like as the country reopens and whenever it happens in a way that is safe – Everybody in that kind of cadre wants sports to be a principal part of that equation, right? So you're seeing a lot of conversations from local politicians. We're seeing even some scientists that are presenting data that, that maybe throw some cold water on the idea that sports maybe shouldn't come back or certainly shouldn't have fans in the near term. However, it seems very clear that at the top, top levels, everybody has aligned interests. And those aligned interests are to get sports back up and running in some capacity with or without fans, in stadiums or somewhere else, figure out a way to do it so that they're up and running because everybody seems to feel like it is critically important for the way that the country comes out of this lockdown.
1: We were talking about this earlier, uh, Charlie Vollmer, an extraordinaire producer and engineer. I, I wish you had a mic you can come on in on this because you brought this up. If, even if you decide to play all the baseball games in Arizona, now, it seems like a great idea, or at least has some merit, but what happens uh, if you have a weak link involved? What happens if uh, the wife of the groundskeeper uh, you know, has the virus and then it's spread on that way? Uh, I, this is what I worry about. Until we have a vaccine, what's going to happen?
2: No, it's absolutely. And it's a great point. And and you think about the outcry, even on this show, we talked about it the last couple of weeks, the outcry about UFC's event that they wanted to hold in California uh, over the weekend, next weekend. Um, UFC can hold an event, a full event with about 50 people involved total. You know, there's essentially 50 baseball players, period, in a baseball game, let alone the other 28 teams that you need to move to a certain location, let alone the coaches, the managers, the umpires, the people who are filming the thing. You know, if people were uncomfortable about the idea of a UFC event happening... All of these major sports leagues are a much, much bigger enterprise. And for the exact point that you just made, also, you know, if if one week link is all it takes, you know, the likelihood is exponentially higher when you're talking about a group of a thousand people versus a group of 50 people. Uh, So, yes, I I think that is obviously the the major concern is that even if they do get this thing up and running in a way that 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 scientists feel is is safe and, and politicians and everyone involved feel is safe. They are still theoretically one Rudy Gobert away from having to shut the whole thing down for, for, for a week or two. Uh, and I think that that is probably the thing that really concerns. If you're Adam Silver, if you're Gary Bettman, if you're someone who is actually, you know, making decisions at some point in the next few weeks or months about, you know, what this looks like when we actually do resume, I think that's the great fear. The great fear is that you do all this work, you get people ready, you know, you get up and running for a little bit. Suddenly, one one little thing s- sneaks through the cracks, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're back to kind of square one again. And I think that's the big fear for fans and, and for executives as well.
1: Tillman Fertitta, the owner of the Houston Rockets, a billionaire, of course, with many other ventures, uh, he just recently said that, for now, he still has his entire staff and uh, with the Rockets, and uh, that's a good thing. Uh, but eventually, if you're not making any money, uh, somehow uh, it's going to be hard to sustain that. But for right now, because of the business model that he used, uh, he is able to keep all of his staff so salute to Mr uh Tillman Fertitta
2: I'm glad you bring him up Michael because if I I mean if I think about off the top of my head about the the owners in in the big four US sports leagues he's one of the the ones who I would think financially might be in the biggest you know the biggest quagmire right now you know the rest of his businesses is you know it's casino properties it's restaurants you know it's all the things that are Right now, essentially making zero dollars because of you know the, la- the the social distancing and the lack of kind of physical interaction happening in public right now. So you know, kudos to him for figuring out a way to you know keep those people intact. Um, but I think he is a kind of a perfect example of kind of the, the ticking time bomb in some ways that I think you know owners certainly it's of smaller leagues, but I think at some point soon, owners at you know big clubs like the Houston Rockets are eventually going to start feeling.
1: Finally, uh, we have to talk about Kyle Larson, NASCAR driver. And I thought about this for quite a while on how I was going to approach this. Now, let me explain mm-hmm. to people what has happened. Sunday, uh, there was a, an, an Internet race that uh, Kyle Larson was taking part of many of uh, the other nascar drivers have done this as well and during the chat he used the n-word and it was on a hot microphone and this went over uh, it, uh about a million people heard it uh well right after that obviously there was going to be a reaction to it uh he lost his uh, two major sponsors. He lost McDonald's. He lost Credit One. Uh, NASCAR suspended him, and then Chip Ganassi Racing fired him. And what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, why would you use that word in the first place? And more importantly, especially for a sport that has had a history of racial problems i mean it, back 40 50 years ago you 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 would see uh, at darlington you'd see the confederate flag uh, it, you know you'd see johnny reb coming up and you'd see all this and and listen i was a fan years ago and and for lack of a better term is like all right i know what i'm getting into i understand it but i still accept the sport because uh, I'm a native Detroiter, this is where we built the cars. But now you're talking about uh, a young man, 27 years old, who took part in the diversity program in NASCAR. He uh, is biracial, Japanese-American, and then this happens. Th- this I-, I can't even explain the enormity of this. If you want to call it a mistake, we're going to call this a mistake. But this this is just not a word that's just on the tip of your tongue.
2: Michael, you mentioned kind of the the backlash that happened fairly quickly, you know, sponsors dropping, you know, overnight, and within two days, Kyle was both suspended as a NASCAR driver and also without a team uh, because he was fired. Um, I'm curious, in your opinion, you know, as someone who, obviously that word has a, a personal meaning and also, you know, you're a NASCAR fan, what do you think is the appropriate punishment here is 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 he persona non grata forever in NASCAR do you think is is if he pops up on another team next year is that is that okay kind of what do you think about you know Kyle Larson's future as a as a driver
1: I look at it now well let me start the history I'm going to answer that question let me start about the historical part about NASCAR Wendell Scott was the first full-time African-American driver in nascar in 1964 he won a race in jacksonville florida first time ever that a black man won a race in nascar uh the track did not want to give him the victory because they were worried about the beauty queen who was in the victory uh, on the victory stand who was white and they didn't want To see Wendell Scott kiss a white woman at the end of the race. So they called another driver as the winner. And it wasn't until everything was all done and the crowds were all gone and this and that, whatever. And then they said, oh, well, yeah, you won the race. He never got a chance to celebrate it. And I bring this up because he was a NASCAR driver and... Kyle Larson should have known, as a young man, the history of this, and and why this is just a, a horrible setback for NASCAR. So when I see Kyle, I mean, he's going to have to do obviously if he wants to get back into this, he's going to have to do an apology tour. He's you know, he's going to have to to do a lot to earn my trust back. I'm, I'm speaking personally for me, um, yeah. And it's too bad because this this young man was probably going to take over the Jimmy Johnson ride at the end of this season. Uh, you know, and and now I'm gonna look. If I see him in a car, I'm like, have you learned from this?
2: No, yeah, those are those are all great points. And, and and another thing that I was kind of thinking about as as I you know wrote about this this week, uh, and I'll choose my words carefully here because I don't want to make it make anyone think that I am in any ways making excuses for Kyle. I do wonder if this this new world in which athletes specifically are being you know are broadcasting live, competing from the comfort of their own couches, competing from their own homes with a hot mic on, kind of twenty four seven as they do it. Um, if there is increased sensitivity that athletes and brands are going to need to address as a result of that, you know, th- there's a reason why, you know, the NFL doesn't mic every player on the, on the field of play during games as much as fans may want it and media networks might want it. You know, players would never and the league would never allow for that. You know, I think there's increased sensitivity and, and, and Bubba, Watson, or Bubba Wallace, who we talked about uh, two weeks ago, a NASCAR driver who you know lost a sponsor because he rage quit during a game. You know, I don't want to loop him and Larson directly together, but there are real-world consequences for what I think for a lot of people, athletes can feel like less consequential scenarios because they're sitting uh, because they're sitting at their homes and not necessarily in front of a big camera at a press conference or in front of a big media scrum with reporters and, and microphones in their face.
1: We'll see how this turns out for Kyle Larson. and uh, Definitely, I'll have my eyes and ears wide open on this one. Uh, this has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Evan Noby-Williams.
2: You can catch us Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays as we talk to the biggest names in sports business.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online wherever you get your podcast.